0: Welcome to Gaming for Good, brought to you by Salesforce.org, where we explore the latest innovations in digital fundraising from gaming to live streaming and beyond. This is a season of playbooks, giving you the tools and tips you'll need to navigate this brave new world. I'm Will Bond, and with my co-host Shay Thompson, we'll be your guides, introducing you to experts inside charities, online platforms, and the worlds of gaming and streaming. Our fourth episode is an IRL events playbook.
1: So much of our series is focused on gaming online, for obvious reasons. But in this episode, we want to help you understand the world of IRL, or in-real-life meetups in the gaming world. There are lots of different types, big festivals like PAX and TwitchCon, gaming tournaments run by epic and smaller indie events. One thing they all have in common is community, the gaming community. As a charity, you might be thinking, why are you telling me about gamers meeting up? Well, that community I just mentioned has helped raise millions of dollars over the past few years, all for charity, and we're going to be sharing some stories about IRL events and how charities are getting involved in exciting and inspiring ways.
0: One of the biggest IRL events around is PAX. It's a series of gaming festivals involving tabletop games, arcade and video games. It's held annually in cities around the U.S., as well as Melbourne, Australia. Here's PAX event manager Laura Stringer to explain more.
2: Assuming you are a person who understands what a fan convention is, generally people associate fan conventions with a few things. Giant exhibition halls, people in weird costumes, and lots of loud music. It's either that or it's the concept of a trade show, where it's pretty much a lot of suits, glad-handing, making deals, passing business cards around. PAX
0: was created by the authors of webcomic Penny Arcade, the name Pack stands for Penny Arcade Expo. The original Penny Arcade comic was all about video games and gaming culture, and the Expo would be devoted to that too.
2: So, the folks at Penny Arcade in 2004 decided to make something that kind of married you concepts based off of E3. the Electronic Entertainment Expo, I think it is. And that is mostly a press event. It's very closed door, very flashy, very business focused. And what my bosses decided to do was create a place where you could pay one ticket price, go in, have just the world of gaming open to you, and be able to access the stuff that only the press normally got to see, and at the same time, have your community meetups. And if you are a person who wears weird costumes and likes loud music, boom, we've got a place for you for that.
3: You would go to PAX to meet up with your friends that you play games with online.
0: Ryan Hartman, VP of Media Content and Events at Penny Arcade.
3: Like, so many people play games with people that they don't know. Or maybe friend groups that have split apart different parts of the country. Everyone still plays games, everyone still connects with games, and then you come to PAX to meet up in person. Yeah, where you can do tournaments, where you can play console games, where you can play board games. You can see panels and concerts and meet developers and go into the expo hall and actually play the new games that are coming out.
2: The idea is that regardless of how you come to PAX, you're probably coming here for a reason. That reason is probably a love of gaming, so what we're trying to do is is provide a place that feels like home to people who've never met.
0: This feeling of home, of familiarity, is key to PAX.
2: If you go to a PAX, pretty much... (laughs) All you have to do is stand still in a space, make eye contact with one person, and you'll probably be able to have a conversation with them. I left my first PAX with 40 more contacts in my phone of people that I'm still friends with now. Like, I've met best friends, I've met lifelong buddies there, and when I got together with my partner, it was very important for me to introduce him to my PAX friends to be like, you've met my family, but have you met my family? There's definitely a vibe here that we've tried to cultivate that's really lasted a long time.
3: And it's been interesting to see charities, different charities crop up in the gaming space or existing charities develop gaming arms. It seems to be something a lot of charitable organizations are realizing the value of
0: and the power of. Throughout this series, we've heard again and again about the importance of authenticity. As a starting point for building community, it's no surprise that when charities reach out to meet gamers in real life, being genuine is essential.
3: The gaming community is very passionate and very loyal, but they can sniff out when they're being pandered to, so we really try, from a backs perspective, try not to pander to our audience. People can tell when something comes from a place of good intentions and when something comes from a place of love, and I think audiences are really good at at detecting that. I caution anyone from a charity or even from an advertiser perspective. It can't just be chasing a trend, you know what I mean? It's got to start at a place of legitimate understanding, but the audience, as long as that is conveyed, they'll get it and they'll support it.
0: Although more and more charities are turning up at IRL events, Charities have been involved in PAX right from the start. You might recall Gaming for Good's very first episode back in Season 1 featured interviews with Travis Erickson and Kirsten Carlisle from the charity Child's Play. Child's Play is another offshoot of PAX organizers Penny Arcade. It aims to improve children's lives through the power of gaming.
2: I think we made it the official charity a couple of years ago just to effectively put a ring on it. Just because Child's Play is there, even though we consider it the crown jewel, the original, it is a penny arcade offshoot, so too are we. We have had a number of different charities, both involved in the show and as part of the exhibition floor. Sometimes they have special rooms. One of the more notable ones would be our relationship with Take This, and in the Australia it's Checkpoints. Those are both gaming-focused mental health advocacy orgs. Take This is a very interesting group of people. They're very much built around the idea of destigmatizing mental health concerns within gaming and providing a place where people who don't normally think they have a mental health concern can just decompress. AFK stands for away from keyboard, so the idea is you can be present but not interacting. It is a place you are encouraged to go if you find yourself having the first panic attack you've ever had. (laughs) Which happens, unfortunately, pretty frequently because PAX is huge and loud.
0: Another non-profit group present from PAX's earliest days is the Cookie Brigade.
2: Which was initially just a group of lovely humans who wanted to bake a lot of cookies and just do a bake sale at the show and give all that money at the end of the show to Child's Play. The Cookie Brigade now itself is a 501c3.
0: That's the American tax code for a non-profit organization.
2: And it's entirely fan-created. Like, they raise a silly amount of money walking around with perfectly, carefully wrapped, sanitized made ingredients are listed on the outside. They have them for damn near every dietary restriction. All they're doing is going to a con with a wagon full of cookies and selling them for a suggested donation of however much.
4: What the Cookie Brigade is, is a organization that was founded after two people started giving out cookies to people just waiting in line at PAX's. That's Cookie Brigade's organizer, Paul Ference. They didn't have any reason to do it, but people started trying to give them money. And they're like, we don't want the money. And people insisted on giving the money. So they're like, OK, well, give it to this charity that's organized by the people that made PAX. And since then, it's grown as an organization, but we're still focused on giving baked goods and candies to people waiting in line at conventions and raising money for charities that are sponsored by those conventions. So far we've raised over 600,000 US dollars. We work with the organizers of the events, find out the charities that they're supporting during the event, and then donate the money to that same charity. So we
0: dovetail in with what the convention is currently supporting. Cookie Brigade is just one of several charities operating at PAX. So why is PAX, or indeed any in-real-life event, an effective place for charities to network and fundraise? I think part of the reason that
4: PAX is so good at organizing people to do good is that it's really trying to bring out the best in the gaming community. There's typically a substantial amount of space offered to not only Child's Play, but also many other organizations that are working to improve the lives of people in the community and for people who are marginalized in the community that it sets up a place for them to be welcome and it helps them spread their message of their community within that community. It's a good foundation, I think, for how to build a culture of acceptance because that sort of attracts people that enjoy doing good and supporting their community and everyone finds uh,
0: different ways to help out. As we've heard throughout this series, gamers are a very passionate and innovative group of people. Good ideas are constantly emerging from the gaming community. If they're inspired by your charity, they'll find their own ways of raising money for you witness PAX and Cookie Brigade's response to the pandemic, when meeting up in real life and passing cookies from hand to hand was no longer possible.
2: They tried to pivot so hard, like can we deliver cookies? Can we do some sort of other partnership? Ultimately, what we ended up doing was they had a fundraiser running throughout, but they also did digital things where they would digitally hand cookies to people. It's become so expected as part of the PAX experience to have the Cookie Brigade present. People were clamouring for just something in the digital realm just to recreate that feeling and the fact that you could get a digital, like just literally like an emoji in your name for doing one thing with Cookie Brigade, like delighted people. And it got them a lot of awareness, got a lot of people clicking over to their site and learning more about their mission in a completely digital event where the value proposition
1: was very different. The world of IRL events is a fascinating one, with its own communities, customs and traditions. Hopefully, hearing about PAX has helped you think about how your charity might engage with any number of similar events, like TwitchCon, or any of the smaller indie events hosted by committed gamers around the world. But if you're a charity and you want to get into this space, what are the few most important things you need to know? I asked all of our guests for their key takeaways, and one thing everyone agreed on is the importance of authenticity.
3: The audience will smell a fake. They reward legitimacy. If you are legitimately interested and your intentions are good, then you will be rewarded as such. If you try to pander or you come off as fake or cheesy or weird, it it won't go well. (laughs) So I would always just caution, yeah, if you're going to try to move into this sector, really familiarize yourself with this sector and really hire people or work with people who know the space well.
1: Another thing that's essential is transparency.
4: I I would be honest about your mission statement, what you intend to do with the money, and show directly how the money that people are donating and the time that people are donating is used for the good deeds provided by your charity.
1: But authenticity and transparency are just the necessary conditions for beginning the battle for hearts and minds.
2: Make it really clear what your intention is coming in. Because gamers are used to people asking us for money. That's very normal. We want to know what's the emotional impact? Why does this matter to me? And what are you doing to make an impact? Because we're chiefly concerned with issues of agency, issues of representation. You're going to want to provide someone a reason why they should join your party and go on your adventure with you. Explaining to them kind of like, hey, we're here because we know you have a particular set of skills, we'd like to use them. And pretty much being upfront with how much of gaming you want to integrate your brand with. And the best way to talk to gamers?
1: Through play,
2: It's totally okay to simply stand there and just preach the word of what your charity is. Maybe have something to demo. However, if you can find a way of gamifying it, we love a challenge. <laughs> Even if it's very, very simple. There's a whole pin collecting and trading uh, economy built around packs. And the stuff that ends up being the most sought after are pins that you can't just buy. They're pins that you have to do a thing for. Even if that means standing in line for four hours because you're going to get a little pin that looks like a Star Trek insignia, people will totally line up for it. They will absolutely go wild for it because a challenge, a trophy I can display? Oh, delicious. If you arrive with merch, great. We love a merch booth. But if you can find a way to add a scavenger hunt element, add a trivia situation, not even a spin the wheel deal, make it a little bit hard to achieve within accessible parameters, it really takes off You don't have to have the most original idea in the whole wide world, literally giving someone a quiz or a scavenger hunt or some sort of test your might situation. Most of us are competitive in some way, even if we're not very good at games. If you learn nothing else from what I'm saying, absolutely make whatever your value prop is part of a challenge for someone to complete, because that creates a story
1: and the stories are the things you remember when we tell our friends about. So, to summarize, if you want to meet gamers through IRL events, it's important to be authentic and transparent about how your charity uses donations. Gamers are used to being asked for money, but what will set your charity apart is a clear statement of how an individual's contribution, whether it's their money or their time, will make a tangible difference. What will the individual emotional impact be? And finally, work out how to gamify your mission statement, because the best way to engage gamers is through play.
0: Thanks, Shay. So there we have it. Your IRL events playbook to help you harness the power of in real life meetups for digital fundraising. If you found this podcast useful, do check out the other playbooks in this series on downloadable content, esports, and software bundles. For more information about gaming for good and to hear inspiring stories from fundraising trailblazers, visit sfdc.co slash fundraising And thanks to our guests, Laura Stringer, Paul Ferrance, and Ryan Hartman.
1: This program was brought to you by salesforce.org. It was presented by Will Bond and me, Shay Thompson. It was a Sounds Fancy and Fieldwork production written by Miranda Hinckley with research, interviews and additional writing by Curtis James. The music was by Neil Hale and post-production by Curtis James.